Good morning. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Titus, Titus chapter 3. As you're turning there, I do want to tell you how thankful I am to be back here behind this pulpit, the sacred desk right here. The Word of God goes out here each week so faithfully from your shepherd, your pastor, And uh, for many, many years, even a number of decades, the word has been so faithfully preached right here uh, from this pulpit. And so I am thankful to be here today. I'm thankful to be with you. I'm thankful to preach the word of the living God uh, to you this morning as we look at Titus chapter 3. We're gonna, I'm going to read Titus 3, beginning in verse 1, although I'm really going to zoom in in my sermon in verse 7 about being justified by his grace. But let me give you the whole context as we read Titus 3, beginning in verse 1. Here's the word of the Lord. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. We thank you, O Lord, that we can come to the high point of our week. The reading of your word and the preaching of your word, the expounding of your word. We do ask that we would be those who hear and receive the word, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God which performs its work in us who believe. We pray, Lord, that there would be two ministers in this pulpit, that I would have the human mouth, but that you, O great God, would be the divine voice that we hear from the reading and teaching of your word. So thank you for the power and the clarity of your truth. Open the eyes of our heart that we may behold wonderful things from your law. In Jesus' name, amen. It is the most important question of the whole Bible. It is the most important question that you could ever ask, you could ever answer. It's the Bible question that beginning to end is constantly posed, and the question is this, how can you be forgiven? How can you be forgiven? How can a holy God forgive sinful man? How can the righteous judge pardon guilty criminals like me and like you? Or maybe to put it simply, how can God accept us? Jesus tells the story of two men in Luke chapter 18 who go to the temple to pray. One of them was a self-righteous man and he prayed and he said, God, look at, look at all the things that I've done. I give, I fast, I pray, I, I do all these great things. Look at what I do. He was not justified. 
And then there was another man who was there praying, but yet he could not even lift his eyes to heaven because of his humble disposition. And he simply prayed, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Or maybe we could simplify it from the Greek, God, propitiate me. Turn away your wrath from me. And then Jesus gave the commentary, this man went home justified. There are two kinds of people, those who are justified and those who aren't. In the Old Testament, God identifies himself. He he self-identifies in Exodus 34 as the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Well, how is he forgiving Sin, iniquity, and transgression, and yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. How can I be forgiven? How can you be forgiven? How can we be accepted? How can we be pardoned by this God? Early on in biblical history in Job 9 verse 2, the question is asked, how can a man be right before God? Earlier, Job 4 and verse 17, can a man be just before God? Job 25 verse 4, how can a man be just with God? In those three places in Job, we could translate the word just as justified. How can a man be justified? I mean, it really is that important. It really is the question of all questions. If you get it right, you get the gospel right. But if you get it wrong, you get the gospel wrong. It really is that important. Imagine if you're driving down the highway and you're heading toward downtown and Inevitably, as you're going down the highway, you'll see the the skyline of downtown. You'll see the arch and some of the taller buildings in front of you. And I think of the doctrine of justification as one of those tall, high skyscrapers, as it were, of Christian doctrine. We need it. We need the central, towering, essential cornerstone of our faith. As we think about this topic of justification, I want you to think of some summarizing points, some very important introductory features of justification. Notice with me first up here on the screen, justification is forensic. It is forensic, and what that means, it is a legal declaration. Justification, what we're talking about today, this great doctrine, is a forensic, a legal declaration by God. Second of all, I want you to know that justification is free. I want you to know it's free. It is unmerited. It is a gift. It is all of grace. It came with a great cost, but it is free. Third, I want you to know that justification is instantaneous. It is an instantaneous work of God. It happens in a moment. Not over the course of your whole life and a long progression, but it happens in an instantaneous moment. Fourth, by way of introduction, you need to know that justification is a very positive doctrine. It's not only the fact that you're forgiven and you're cleared of all of your sin, but justification teaches very positively that something happens to you. All of the righteousness of Christ is credited to you. Well, it's very positive. Fifth, I want you to know that justification is a very comforting doctrine as well. It's very comforting. This is a truth that gives you joy. It is a truth that that gives life to your Christian walk. It, It gives you zeal. It gives you gratitude. It reminds you of the comfort and the security and the assurance that you have in Christ. So imagine with me in your mind's eye that we're brought, we're summoned 
into the courtroom of heaven. Imagine you're there and we're convicted criminals. And we are brought into God's courtroom and God is behind the bar. And God is the one who must execute inflexible justice. And he does so with perfect righteousness. But I'm the lawbreaker and so are you. I'm the transgressor, and so are you. I'm the felon, and so are you. I'm the guilty one, and so are you. And yet, with this whole work of justification that we're going to talk about today, ponder the joy of the judge saying to you, forgiven. Ponder the the wonder of your full pardon of being graciously declared forgiven righteous the marvel the marvel that you are seen by the holy god as being holy what comfort of having full and everlasting and unfading justification that can never ever be overturned what assurance what assurance of having God's countenance changed toward you from from your overwhelming guilt to now being justified and accepted before this judge. What a great doctrine. What a great reality that we get to look at today. This ought to capture our heart. It ought to recapture our heart. It ought to recapture our heart again. Maybe you've, you've heard sermons and you've heard teaching and you're going through theology, equip classes on Bible doctrine, but let us hear afresh the wonder and the beauty of justification. And for that, we're going to look at Titus chapter 3. Now, the book of Titus is three chapters. It's a short little pastoral manual. It's like a handbook for pastors. Because Paul sent Titus to the island of Crete in order to set things in order. Church ministry needs work. And the churches there on that island in the middle of the Mediterranean needed work. So, Titus, you're the man. You've got to set things in order. So, chapter 1 is all about godly leadership. Titus 2 is all about godly living in the church, i.e. discipleship. Titus 3 is all about godly living in society. It's a, it's a really important book. It's, it's quite simple. It's very profound and super helpful and relevant for us because Titus was serving on Crete. And in the days of the Roman Empire, it wasn't altogether a super glamorous and godly empire kind of like the days in which we live. And yet here's a book, here's a passage, here is a truth for us that we need to know so that we can have fuel for godly living in a harsh society. And you see it, look at verse 1, Titus 3 verse 1. Paul says to Titus, remind them, the people, the believers, to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. Verse 2, we should malign no one but be peaceable and gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Because, verse 3, remember, you once were foolish. You you were disobedient, you were deceived, you were enslaved to all of your sins and lusts and pleasures, and and you were spending your life in malice and envy, and, and you were hateful and hating one another. I mean, that's who we were. But don't you love verse four? But. Isn't that a great word? But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, He saved us. You need to know that. That's what Paul is saying to Titus. You got to teach the people this. You got to have the motivation. You got to have the fuel for godly living in a godless culture. And here is the fuel that we need. Here's what we need to know living in this world. And one of the truths that he brings out in this magnificent paragraph of the gospel is found in verse 7. Look at it here. So that being justified by his grace. So I want to give you clarity today on that doctrine, justification by grace. 
And as you're taking notes, I want to give you a number of headings so that we can look at it from different angles and different perspectives and we'll go to different scriptures so that we can understand that opening dilemma. How can you be forgiven? How can you be made right with God? How can you be forgiven by God? How can you be reconciled to God? How can anybody be reconciled to God? Let's look at it together. Number one, if you're taking notes, notice with me the timing, the timing of your justification. And when we get into this realm of timing, this is what theologians call the ordo salutis, meaning the order of salvation. The order of salvation. You see, the Bible teaches regeneration. That God is the one who works salvation in us and changes our nature. We know it as being born again. Being born from above. Where God is the one who gives us life. He changes our nature. He transfers us out of the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. This is all a work of God whereby he changes us, taking out the heart of stone and putting in a heart of flesh. That's regeneration. God changes who you are. He changes your nature. And when God does that, in response to that, you now have life. You have a new heart. And you as the convicted sinner, now enlightened, now convinced, you have been sovereignly converted by God, you then respond in repentance and faith. This is when you, in this moment of salvation, in the inner workings of that time when God saves you, when you are regenerated, you see your sin. You see the beauty of Christ. You see that you have no hope without him. And you flee to him in repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. And the Bible says that when a sinner believes in Christ, God justifies him by grace. What we're looking at today in the context of Titus chapter 3 is this great truth of justification, but notice the timing of it. Look at Titus 3 verse 5. Let's look at the context here. Verse 5, God saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of, here it is, regeneration. God, God washes you. He changes your nature. He makes you new. You're born again. He does that and he renews you, verse 5 ends, by the Holy Spirit, verse 6, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, verse 7. So then what happens? So then, verse 7, we are justified by his grace. Another portion of scripture that we could go to for the timing of justification is in Romans chapter 8. Remember Romans 8, we, we love Romans 8, 28. It's one of those great biblical counseling key verses, right? And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom God foreknew, what does that mean? God set his saving love upon people from eternity past. He foreloved us. Then he predestined them to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he, the Son, would be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8.30, those whom he predestined, he called. What's the call? It's when God draws you to salvation. It's when the Spirit of God effectually, powerfully gives you life. And then, look at it in Romans 8.30, those whom he calls, he justifies. You see the order. God draws you, he saves you, he awakens you, he regenerates you, and then you respond by putting your trust in Christ. The timing of your justification is found right here in Titus chapter 3 and verse 7 and in the context, after God regenerates, then you look to Christ. And all that happens in a moment of time, in this moment of salvation. 
Amazing work of God. But that's the timing of salvation. What about the second, the the second key truth of your justification? Not just the timing, but now number two, the meaning. And I want you to notice with me the meaning of your justification. If we could open our Hebrew Bibles, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? We open our Hebrew Bibles and we read Deuteronomy 25 verse 1. God says through Moses to the people, you go to court and you justify the righteous, and you condemn the wicked. What does that mean? This language of justification is in the context, the location of a courtroom setting. The context is a legal setting with a judge, with a, with a bar, with the law, with a sentence, with the guilty ones. You see, the language, both in the Old Testament and in the New The language of justification refers to a legal, forensic action. It it is the declaring of someone to be righteous. It is a law court judicial term, and the setting is the divine court of heaven. John Murray, in his book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, defines justification quite simply as this. Justification means to declare or pronounce to be righteous. So when God justifies, he declares someone to be forgiven of their sin, to be cleared of the penalty, and to be righteous in his sight. It is something that happens. It is true of us outside of us. It doesn't change our inside. It doesn't change our nature. Regeneration changes our nature. Justification is what changes our status. God declares that we are righteous in him. This is what the church history creeds and the catechisms have taught. One catechism puts it like this, justification is God's forgiving sinners and declaring them legally righteous in Christ. You see, justification is what God declares about a believer, not about what God changes inside the believer. That's regeneration, the changing of the nature. This is a declaration. And maybe a simple illustration could be helpful. Imagine a, a professional sports athlete, and, and he plays for one team, and then he's traded mid-middle of the season. And he's traded to another team, and they got to go through all the paperwork and the legal proceedings of going from one team to another. Well, when that happens... Nothing happens to the man himself. Nothing happens to him on the inside. Rather, it's a change in his status. One week, he is on the roster for one team. And another week, he's on the roster for another team. It didn't change his nature. It didn't change him on the inside, but it changed his status. That's kind of like what justification is. Now, when we talk about this second main heading here of the meaning of justification, I want to take you to a couple of scriptures because I want to show you just how this happens. I want to show you just how this happens. Go with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, very quickly. We, we, We know and we love Romans 3 because verse 23 reminds us all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And in the very next verse, Romans 3, verse 24, look at what Paul says here. Romans 3, 24, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So how can God forgive us? How can God look at me and look at you and declare, how can he pronounce that you're forgiven? And it's through the work of Christ, through the redemption of Christ. You're in Romans. Just turn a little bit to the right to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Well, what happened? What happened to Christ? I mean, I've sinned. You've sinned. We're all guilty. God looks at us and he knows that we've sinned. We've got a lot of sin. What happens? 
This is really the very heartbeat of the gospel. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 21. What did God do? What did God do? What's the meaning of this justification doctrine? Verse 21, God made him, that is Christ, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. What does that mean? That opening phrase says that God did the work of taking all of my sin and putting it on Christ on the cross. All of it. Keep reading the rest of verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5.21, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. My sin credited to him, Jesus on the cross, and all of his obedient righteousness credited to me by simple faith. Let's go to one more scripture just to drive this home. Go to Isaiah 53. Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 53, one of the crowning chapters in all of the Bible that speaks of the great work of Christ. 700 years before Jesus was even born. Look at Isaiah 53. We know verse 4, Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he, verse 5, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Do you hear the substitution there? Verse 6, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Verse 10, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and he will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, listen to this, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. Well, how does he do that? End of verse 11, as he bears their iniquities. You see, the whole meaning of justification, it brings you to the heavenly courtroom where God is the one who is the judge and he sees the guilty ones and he can say, you're forgiven, you're cleared, you're pardoned, you're acquitted because your sin has been put on the Son and he was punished and crushed and cursed, and left alone, and the sin bearer, so that you could go free. And that through faith in him, all of his obedience is credited, downloaded to your account. That's the ground, that's the reason of our justification. So we go back to Titus 3, here's our passage. We are justified by his grace. The atoning work of Christ is the ground by which we are saved. You know, somebody might say to you, well, how how do you know you're forgiven? How do you know you're a Christian? How do you know you're going to heaven? Yesterday on the street, somebody said, how do you know that you're going to heaven? I love, I could talk all day long about that question. But it has nothing to do with what I've done for God. It has nothing to do with my life and my religion and my baptism and my good works and my memorization of catechism or whatever it might be. The meaning of justification is that God has counted me righteous. Because of Christ. That's the beauty of this great work. So we've seen the timing of justification. Number two, we saw the meaning of justification. Now, number three, let's focus on the accomplisher. If you're taking notes, the accomplisher. We see it here in verse seven. So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs. When I was in seminary, I had to learn Greek. But the problem was, I didn't even know English grammar very well. 
So I didn't even learn English grammar until I'm learning Greek grammar. But what's so great about that, though, is I came to see just how important not only every word of the Bible is, but even the verbal forms. It's amazing. The Spirit of God given us his word with precision and clarity is so awesome. So we're going to have a grammar study for a minute. Verse 7, look at it in your Bible, Titus 3, 7, so that being justified by his grace. You know what's so cool about that? The verb being justified is passive. So for, to make it simple for all of us, that means you didn't do the work. It happened to you. It happened to you. Theologians and Grammarians call this a divine passive. God did the work to you. So that being justified by his grace. It's also supported and clarified in Romans chapter 8. When we read in Romans 8.33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. And then earlier, Romans 8, 28, which we read, God causes all things to work together for good. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. It's not we justified. I didn't have a part to play. I didn't cooperate in this thing. God did it. He did the work. But you know, there is a place in the Bible where men justify themselves. And it comes from the teaching of Jesus in Luke chapter 16. Verse 15, men sought to justify themselves in the sight of God, but God knows their hearts. And then you read the context and he exposes their hypocrisy as being abominable. Well, that doesn't work to justify ourselves. God knows our hearts. He knows everything about us. I can't justify myself. You can't justify yourself. We can't help God. We can't cooperate with God. We can't contribute to this whole thing. It is God alone. Who's the accomplisher of your justification? Answer, God, period. He did it. Salvation is accomplished by God, and we are justified by God alone, and it is received through faith, but we'll get there in a minute. You know, that's so profoundly simple but important. You know, when when somebody is talking to you about their life and their troubles and their struggles, and you can say to them, yeah, but but I have assurance. I've been forgiven. I'm reconciled to God. And they they may respond to that and give you some follow-up question, and yet you say, but it's not because of me. I mean, I'm I'm not going to heaven because of what I've done for God. I mean, you can ask anybody on the street, do you think you're going to heaven? Probably many people may say, sure. Good follow-up question, why? And probably their first word is I. Right? I'm good. I've done good. I go to church. Whatever their answer might be. Praise God, we know that the accomplisher of our justification is not I. It's God. Fourth, what I want to show you now, fourth in your outline, is the obtaining. The obtaining of your justification. So you say, okay, Jeff, I I hear what you're saying. I I get the doctrine. I get the theology. I I hear what you're saying about the timing and the meaning and the accomplisher. But how do I get it? Roman Catholic Catechism, paragraph 1477 says, People can obtain for their own salvation and at the same time cooperate 
in saving their brothers through good works and indulgences. Roman Catholic Catechism, paragraph 2027, quote, We can merit for ourselves and for others all the graces needed to attain eternal life. But that's not what the Bible says. We can't merit eternal life. My, my good works, my indulgences, my life, my, my, my good estimation of myself, we can't merit eternal life. The Bible could not be clearer about that. How do you obtain this? How does it come to you? How does a man get right with God? How can a man and woman be forgiven by God? It's the question of all questions. And back to our text in Titus 3 and verse 7 tells us that we are justified by God's grace. Oh, I love that word grace, don't you? Romans 3, 24 says the same thing, that we are justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. It's all a gift. Yesterday in our family worship, I was sitting on the couch with my kids and my wife, and we were talking about a topic similar to this, and when we got to the topic of grace, I said to my kids, what if I bought you a gift, a watch, a nice watch, a cool watch. All the kids want to watch, the flashy, cool watch that does all those things. And I said, what if I bought that for you, and I brought it home, and I opened the box, and I showed it to you, and you just study it, you look at it, you observe it, you're, you're watching. I mean, you're just studying that thing. But, but unless you reach out your hand and receive it, it's not going to be your own. It's not going to do you any good. It's a gift, but you have to receive it by faith. You have to receive this. You have to obtain this by faith. Also, in Romans chapter 3, a little bit later on in verse 28, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Nobody is good enough to go to heaven by his works of the law. Nobody can say, well, God, I'm going to heaven because I have greater faith. We, we don't need greater faith. We, Jesus teaches that we ought to have a strong faith, and there's a right teaching on that, but this is not you being justified by the measure of your faith. Faith is the means by which you obtain this free gift that God has given. Maybe a way to simplify it and would be an illustration. So if we're living in the ancient world and Let's say we're living in a city that there wasn't a water source near us. Maybe, maybe there wasn't the, the sea or a river or a spring near us. So you need water. You need water to survive. And so you have an aqueduct. You have an aqueduct that is going to carry the water from the source to your city. Now, you and I, if we're living then, we would not say, well, I'm saved by that aqueduct. It just saves my life. We're saved by the water. That's what delivers us when we're thirsty and we need that to survive. It's merely the channel that brings the water into the city. That's kind of like what it is in justification with faith. Faith doesn't save you any more than the aqueduct saved the city. Rather, it's the channel by which you receive the benefits. How do you obtain this justification? It's a free gift given by God, but you must receive it by faith. Maybe you know the hymn by Charles Wesley, O for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, My Great Redeemer's Praise. There's another stanza that he wrote later on in that hymn, and he said, Look unto him, ye nation's own, your God, ye fallen race. Look and be saved, through faith alone, be justified by grace. This is the biblical teaching. This is what Christians believe. 
This, this is what Scripture from beginning to end teaches, that we obtain salvation by the grace of God and through faith in Christ. That's why Titus 3 tells us in verse 7, see it in your Bible, so that being justified by his grace. So that leads to another point. If we've seen the timing and we've seen the meaning and we've seen the obtaining or the accomplisher and then the obtaining, let me give you number five. What about the results? So what does justification do? What, what, What does it do? Well, our text tells us in Titus 3, verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Verse 8, the very next verse, this is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. You don't live a life of good deeds to earn favor with God. We read in verse 8 that as a believer in God, you then are to live a life of good deeds. See, the Bible teaches that we are not justified by our good works, but all who are justified will live a life of good works. James 2 teaches that. We are not saved by our works, but we are saved unto good works. We are God's workmanship created in Christ for good works, which he prepared beforehand for us. So what are the results? What happens then when this justification happens? I I think of it like a firework. You go downtown on the 4th of July and the fireworks are shot off and then when they're up in the air, they explode. And these beautiful, beautiful colors and designs. I think of justification like that. What are some of the beautiful, beautiful things that come from this great doctrine? Jot this down. Number one, you have Peace with God. Isn't that good news? I mean, that's good news. Psalms tell us that God is angry with the wicked every day. And yet I, right here today, and you, right here today, as a believer in Christ, you have peace with God. Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. You can tell anyone on the planet, background, culture, language, whatever life they've lived, you can tell them, I know how you can have peace with God. You you can tell people that. You know where to find the living bread. You know how they can be saved. You know the answer to the question, how can a man be forgiven? How can we be right with God? Have peace with God. Second, another great result of this justification, there is now no condemnation. No condemnation. Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's a positional unchanging reality. It's not determined by how you live. It doesn't fluctuate by the good and the bad days that you have. There's no condemnation. And that's the decree from the heavenly judge. A third result that I want to give you, jot this down. You are righteous before God. You are righteous before God. That is astonishing to me because Habakkuk 1 says that there is nothing unclean, nothing impure that can be before the eyes of God. I'm unclean. So are you. And impure. But now in Christ, now as a believer in Christ, God looks at me and he looks at you through the lens of Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ and united to him. God doesn't scowl upon you and say, you had a terrible day. He he, he doesn't get 
mad at you each day. And he doesn't have a temper that goes up and down. You're righteous. Not because of your merit, but because of Christ's merits. What good news. Let, let me give you a fourth, a fourth result. You can be cleansed of all of your sin. Cleansed of all of your sin. And we read in 1 Corinthians 6, do not be deceived that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. If you're living that way, God says, don't be deceived. You're not going to heaven if that's your life. But I love the next phrase. But such were some of you. But you were washed, he says. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the spirit of our God. Praise God that you can be cleansed of all of your sin because of Christ. And many, many more results could be given. I've got more here, but for the sake of time, we need to move on. So I want to draw this to a close. We've seen justification, and we've seen the the timing and the meaning and the accomplisher and all these great truths. So what? I mean, doctrine is doctrine, but it's meant to just be more than inform your mind. It's to change our hearts and our lives. So very quickly, let me run through a few ways that justification ought to change the way you live Monday morning. Number one, your justification should ignite praise. It should ignite praise. Wow. Praise the Lord that I'm forgiven. Praise the Lord that I'm counted righteous. Praise the Lord that all of my sin has been paid for in Christ. And related to that, number two, your justification should prompt thanksgiving. You know, we, we boast, we boast in Christ. We boast in him. We are thankful for what God has done. Romans 5, we exult in the hope of the glory of God in that context of justification. Third, our justification should propel evangelism. You want to know why? There's a lot of people out there who know our world is a mess, but they don't know where to go. I mean, they're trying anything and everything to try to find some hope and peace and whatever. But you can say, I know. I know how you can have eternal life. Peace with God. Forgiveness of your sin. It should propel evangelism. Fourth, let your justification instill humility. It's not what I do for God. It's not what you've done for God. It's not the life that we've lived. It's what he's done for us. Number five, your justification. This should solidify your assurance. You can go home today. You can have lunch with your family, dinner tonight. Wake up tomorrow morning, get ready for a work week. And you can say, hallelujah, I am still justified this day. You have a good day and you have a not-so-good day. Praise God. God's justification gives you assurance because it never changes. What a comfort to the soul. I want to close with a, a brief story here in a moment, but I need to just ask the simple question. Are you justified? Are you forgiven? Are you made right with God? I mean, do you know, do you know that you know that all of your sins have been paid for by Christ on the cross? Have you put your confidence in Christ, not clinging to what you've done for him, but only clinging to the work of Christ? Do it today if you've never done that before.
In the 1500s, in England, they were, they were tough days for Christians, especially when a Roman Catholic queen took the throne by the name of Bloody Mary, or she went by Bloody Mary. When she took the throne, even the brief reign that she had, just a number of years, really, she went after the Christians. She burned a few hundred of them. She went after the pastors, to be specific. And the first was John Rogers. The second was a man by the name of John Hooper. This Bloody Mary hated John Hooper. She was a Catholic woman. She was very devout. And she had him marked out for destruction. Because John Hooper wrote and preached this. That every minister should diligently teach and preach the justification of man that comes only by faith in Jesus Christ and not by any merit of man's good works. Well, she as a Catholic didn't like that. Albeit, he said, that our good works do follow justification, but they are of no value before we are justified. That Roman Catholic queen, she hated him. And when she took the throne, she found him, tried him, found him guilty, and he was executed. The doctrine of justification by faith is that important. It is the very heart of the Christian message. How can a man be forgiven by God? Hallelujah that we are justified by his grace. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for what you have taught us this morning in your word. Thank you for the power of Holy Scripture. Thank you for the clarity of Holy Scripture. Thank you for the glorious divine act of justification that you have worked for us all by your grace. Lord, if there are any here today, even in this very room, who are not justified, younger or older, men or women, O merciful Father, please save them today. May they call upon the name of the Lord, and they will be saved. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.